I see the, the students and the connections, and it's fascinating. And then, and then you see literally the chain going all the way back, mm-hmm. all the all the way back. Yeah. Uh, the the last point the Gemara made, um, it, it, the words are kind of funny. It, it says Rabbi Yochanan said Dilchon, and then he said Dilhon. Um, those are Aramaic words, but initially he always valued the Torah of Eretz Yisrael, uh, of the sages of Eretz Yisrael, than the sages of Bava. They both had, that's Talmud Yushalmi, Talmud Bavli, they both had their own traditions, and Eretz Yisrael never went into Gullus. So he felt that that was much better because since they didn't go into exile, they didn't forget as much, they didn't uproot as much. Um, but then he met Rev Kahana, who seemed to be so learned, then he agreed that the Babylonians had the, um, had the more uh, stronger traditions or the, uh, or the things that were less mixed up or less confusing. And so um, that's... Uh... Until later in history, this is what we picked up, that during the Byzantine time, this was after Rabbi and after the whole period, after that yeah. uh, generation, then things were so bad there, you know, that's when they, they got up and they, they moved. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the story of the uh, the four that were taken mm-hmm. captives? Yeah, captive and mm-hmm. taken to this different. Could you could you could you tell me a little bit about that? Um, maybe afterwards. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. We got to catch up. All right, but uh, yeah, that's a fascinating story. Um, okay, we're on one seventeen B Kufyud Zion Amud Beis. We're a drop behind. Uh, we're going to start a paragraph down. Yesterday we talked about that amazing story with Rif Kahana, who um, had somebody in the Beisden who challenged the authority of Beisden, and he gave him a chop, and he broke his neck. I don't know whether he intended to kill him or not, and he had to run away to Eretz Yisrael. And uh, then uh, we, Rabbi Yochanan became familiar with him. Rabbi Yochanan had the long eyelashes. Um, that was the uh, place where we left off. Um, we're going to start a paragraph down. Good morning, Pete. Uh, on Kuf Yud Zayin Amud Beis, one hundred seventeen B, Hahu de Achve Am Takasa de Rav Ava, there was somebody that um, in those days they had uh, roaming tax collectors, <laughs> and uh, if they could get their hands on wealth, if they knew who had something to confiscate, they would decide that that was the tax. So somebody pointed out the silks of Rav Ava, and he caused him a big loss. And then Reb Abba took this person to Beistin because he caused him a loss. The immediate issue is uh, there's a difference in halacha between direct damage and uh, what's causing damage. Causing damage is the rules are, are a little bit different, even though the person caused him harm. Here he caused him harm, but it wasn't direct, so can he sue or not? In other words, he didn't take the money away. He just told the tax collector that he thinks Reb uh, Rav Abba had these silks. So, Yasser Rebo, Rav Chanina Bar Papari, Sagnafa, Yasser Rebbe, Loi Gabe, Saber Lechayuve. They wanted to throw the book at him. And what was the, the person who gave the, the Moser, the one who gave him over to the tax collector? Where did he, uh, from where did he want to bring the proof? The Tanan. Donasadin, If you have a Beisdin and gives a ruling and they mess up, the guilty is not guilty, the not guilty is guilty, the pure is impure, so what's the rule if Beisden messes up? We don't 
we don't reverse the ruling, but the court has to make good. They have to pay for the damage that they did. Even though they didn't do it directly, they're responsible for the fact that their ruling caused somebody harm. So you see that indirect damage you're liable for. So the Gemara said, that's no proof. That's only talking about a case where the court actually took the money away from the litigant and gave it to the other one. That's direct damage. So uh, what do we do over here about the case of the Moser? Go to those courts. They deal with cases where somebody causes damage. They went there. They said... This person who told on him to the IRS, to the tax collector, is liable. And well, the proof was from our Mishnah over here. It says, that um, if the field got taken away because the robber is the one who, who had been on it, so then he's got to give him another one. But Ukme, and the case was that um, how was it the, um, um, someone had shown the field to an extortionist? And um, the, uh, uh, the, um, someone had gotten that field taken away. So you see that a person is liable even for uh, indir- causative damage where he causes harm. Another case. Somebody was watching someone else's silver cup. In other words, somebody had a valuable silver cup. He said, here, can you hold this for me? I said, sure. And the Ganavim, they came... Um, they came to the person who was holding the silver cup, shuckled Yahai um, Vilahu, and uh, the person was forced um, to give the robbers the silver cup. Uh, so the question is, does he obligate it because someone had given that to him to watch? They said he's not obligated to pay. What do you mean he's not obligated? He saved himself by giving the robbers the silver cup. How's that okay? You should have to pay. We check it out. He inish who. If this person who they robbed is a wealthy guy, so then the reason they robbed him was because of his wealth, not because they, they didn't even know he was holding the silver cup. The Elah, but if he doesn't usually have money, they were watching the whole thing. They knew that he was holding the Dad to the Kaspas. So you have to know what the, uh, what the reason for the robbery was. Hugavra, there was a person of the Gabe, Arnaki de Pidin Shuyim. He was holding on to the wallet for the money to redeem captives. Cap people would be captured in war, and then they'd be offered on the slave market, and there's a big mitzvah to buy their freedom. The robbers came on him, and he gave them the money that was saved for redeeming captives. They brought him to Rava and said, you should have to pay back the fund. He said he's exempt. Listen to his logic. Last skinny lie. How could he do that? He used the charity fund to save his life. The purpose of the fund is to save somebody uh, from harm's way. He, he was in harm's way. The robbers were going to kill him unless he gave them the money. So he used it for what the fund was intended, even though it's a stretch. But it, uh, he's saying that at the end of the day, that was the purpose of the fund, was to prevent Jews from coming to harm. Ahu Gavra. 
Each one of these cases, there's a lot more to talk about, but we got ground to cover. Ahu gavra, the actim asikamra la mavra. So a person. Any reason particular why the Gemara doesn't use the same answer that he was wealthy or not wealthy, and if he was a wealthy man, they were coming after him. If he wasn't wealthy, they were going after the money because they knew it was there. That's a good point. I wonder that even if they were going after uh, his money, it, the question is, in the end of the day, since the purpose of the fund was to save people from coming to harm, is, that, is, is it too far away from its original purpose? In other words, the fund really was to go to the slave market and redeem other people, but since he would have been physically harmed, it's almost like a new Kiddush, really, to tell you that that's, you can repurpose the fund for that. But I, I believe you're right. We could have gone in that direction. So, um, and one more story here. So the story is like this. Uh, a person, there's a ferry to get from one side to the other. Usually it's not a good idea to put a heavy animal on that ferry. Uh, the boats weren't that robust in those days. But uh, a person needed to get his donkey to the other side. So he got there early in the morning. He went, he got there first, and snuck his donkey on. I don't know how he got it. He did it. He, he convinced them to take the donkey, Kamei before all the people got on the boat. So sure enough, all the people got crowded on the boat. Boy, it was too much weight, and it looked like the boat was going to sink. So so a person who was aware, he understood exactly why this boat, the ferry, was going to capsize. He went, Molech Lechamra, Dahugavra, he pushed the donkey off the boat into the sea uh, so that the boat would be not sinking. And guess what? The donkey drowned. So this guy said, what a chutzpah. You, you threw my donkey in the sea. You had no business doing that. So he brought him to court in front of Rabbah. Patrua. Rabbah said he's not obligated. He's, he was saving their lives. The boat might have capsized. Isn't he saving them uh, with somebody else's money? He said, that guy had no business putting his donkey on that boat. That boat, that donkey in this case, was uh, a direct harm to all the other residents. It's not just that he was saving himself with someone else's money. That having that animal on this uh, ferry was a danger to everybody else. Where do we see this idea when somebody is causing other people to be in danger that you're allowed to um, uh, stop it even at, at that person's expense? So now he brings a few halachas. Rodev, if you have somebody chasing after, we're calling this donkey a rodev. A rodev means he's somebody that's, harm, that's uh, potentially harming me. And so I'm allowed to do what I need to to, to protect myself. So he's saying this donkey was a rodef because he was making the stability of this ferry uh, very uh, challenging. Somebody's chasing up somebody to kill him. Now, if the one who's the murderer or the one who's the trying to harm somebody breaks things, you know, in the movies they always have these chase scenes where they crash into everybody, they smash stuff. So the thing is, the murderer doesn't have to deal with the, the broken things because we're going to potentially mischayib ben nafsho. We are potentially going to kill him. Now, what about the guy who's being chased? 
So if he breaks the things of the guy chasing him, he's potter. Because um, he's even allowed to kill the murderer, certainly he can break the murderer's things. The rule is when somebody is trying to kill you, you're allowed to go, you're supposed to go and kill him first. So certainly uh, you can try to break his things too, if that'll prevent him from causing harm to you. What about somebody else? If they uh, uh, damage other people's things, they're because normally you're not allowed to save yourself by causing harm by, with somebody else's uh, property. For let's say this is the Hatzal of the Mara. If you are a good Samaritan and you're going after to save somebody, and on the way to save somebody, you got to break stuff. Bain shall nirdaf now, whether you broke the things of the one you were trying to save or somebody else, Potter. And um, basically, you don't have liability if you're trying to help. So the Morris says, well, why would that be? I mean, at the end of the day, when you break stuff, you're liable. It's not the halacha, elashima to Omar Kane. If you're going to give him liability, nobody's ever going to volunteer to save somebody from harm's way because they're going to be liable. They're going to have to pay damages. So you, they gave an exemption for Hatzalah, for people that save somebody that they can't be sued. That's the basic, uh, basic concept, okay? New Mishnah. So uh, somebody steals your field, kicks you off, and uh, then the flash flood comes, shut for and washes away all your topsoil. In those days, uh, it was much more difficult to refertilize fields. Sometimes if a field was damaged, it could be damaged for forever, for a lifetime. So the field, the, the river washed away the topsoil, and then all of a sudden, the robber can go to the one who he had kicked off the field and said, oh, uh, here's your field back. Your field is, uh, you can have it back. And uh, he's not obligated uh, to do more, meaning that uh, he has to obligate to return the field. The fact that the field that he has now is ruined, that's not his responsibility. Let's see. If so, somebody steals somebody's field and it gets over uh, the river overflows, you got to give him a new field. Rebbe Eliezer disagrees. He said, you kicked him off, and now that you got it ruined, you got to repay him. They say, no. So what are they arguing in? So actually, they're arguing in how to interpret the psukim. And we've had this kind of argument. It's, it's very technical that it's about which method to use to make the drasha with. Uh, he darshans with uh, the general specific. It says, So he denies uh, the person's, um, his fellow person's uh, property. Uh, that's a general thing. That's very specific. Anything that he lies about, that's very general. comes to include everything. Um, all things are included in damages that you're responsible for. Now, definitely, there were extra words here that's coming to exclude something. If you damage a person's documents, that you don't have to pay. You tear up a guy's check or his deed, you won't, uh, that, that is excluded technically from the damages. They darshan general specific. Kikish, that's general. Pekadin, that's specific. Omikola, that's called, that's a general specific general. 
Prat in Kaprat. Whenever you have a general specific general, you go like the specific. My Prat Dover These rules of damages are only by movable things, not by land. and they have intrinsic value. This would exclude land, that you don't have liability if you cause damage um, uh, to somebody else's land. Shein Metalton, because it's not movable. This, this is going to be the reason why if the robber robbed your field and then the weather damaged it, that he's not liable because it's excluded from the, the verses that, that say you have a liability. Yotzo Vodim would exclude servants that are similar to land. Yotzo Shtarosh would exclude documents. Documents are movable like a check or a deed, ain't goof moment, but they're not intrinsically money. Aye, the more it says, by time it goes up here, Roshat Funar, Chayv Lahamid uh, para, somebody steals your cow and then the river washes away your cow. So let's hold on a second. So basically, we're saying there's less liability with land, which is karka, than there is for movables. And it has to do with the Xerosakas of Hayudash and the Pasuk. Fine. So we can accept that. Now, the rabbis can always institute that we still throw the book at the guy if they want to, but the Torah didn't had an exclusion for land. You steal land, you give it back, you can't sue the fact that the land got washed away. Okay. Now, the Gemara has a question about a case of an animal. An animal is not land. Somebody steals a cow, and then what happens is the water washes away the cow. Uh, so you can tell the guy, um, you can have your animal back, but it's, uh, it's somewhere in the, in the lake in front of your house. It's in the swamp in front of your house. So... The first view is Chayv Lamelo Paro. Diverabrela says you owe him a cow. They say Omer Harishochalafanacha. You can say, I, I left it there. You can have it. So what are they arguing? And that's not talking about uh, land. That's talking about a cow. So Omer Papa has my skin. Don't you gozel sorry mechaver says we turned to today's page. We made it. Um, we're talking about where somebody stole the field, and on the field was a cow, and then the river came and washed it away. And in this case, uh, sometimes the, the cow becomes like part of the field as far as damages. If you're liable for the land, then you're liable for the damage. If you're not liable, then you're not liable. And each one is consistent with, in this particular case, the things on the land are part of the land. So if you're not liable for the topsoil, you won't be liable for the animals that are together with uh, the land. Okay, new Mishnah. If you steal, person steals from their fellow person, or they borrow money from the Oshehifkid lo, or um, he's given an object to watch, and in all these cases, he's going to make good. He's going to pay him back, he's going to return the theft, he's going to give him his object back. But the trick here is he borrowed from him in the city, don't give it back in the desert. That's all the guy needs, is to have his item back in the desert. How is he going to watch this? I've had that happen uh, now and then where you give somebody something and they figure, oh, I'll see you in shul, and they give it back to you in shul. But how are you going to carry that back necessarily in shul? That's not fair. If they borrow in the home, they should return it in the home. Um, but that's, that's the issue here. Let's say a guy comes to you in the desert and say, here's your sheep. Oh, well, how am I going to take care of it? How am I going to get it back? But if the guy said... Uh, I'll, uh, on the condition that I'll give it back in the desert, then of course you can give it back in the desert. Where's the question? 
you could repay a loan anywhere. A veda pekadin, if there's a lost object or if you're holding something, that has to be returned in the place that it was borrowed. So he says a loan uh, can be asked for in any place. But if it's an object, you have to ask for it in the place where it would be. What if you mentioned you were going in the desert and you're going to pay him back? And he said, no problem. So Pshita, that's obvious. He didn't actually say, I'm going to give it back in the desert. What happened was, the guy said, here, watch this for me. I don't need it. I'm going into the, the desert. I don't know. I'm going into the wilderness. He says, oh, what a coincidence. I'm also going to be there. Uh, maybe I'll be able to give it back over there. So, so the other person seemed okay that if it's returned over there, he'll take it back over there. So it was kind of made clear that that might be where he'll return it. So again, basically, if a person either borrows something or steals something or has another person's object to give back, he should make sure it's given back in this similar location to where it was received or stolen or borrowed, but you can't necessarily give it back. The guy's in the airplane or something, you know, he's, uh, you know, you can't give it back to him in the airport. Okay, new Mishnah. Um, a person says to his buddy, I stole from you, I borrowed from you, I'm holding your object. I definitely owed you, but I'm not sure if I paid you back. I don't remember, did I give it back or not? So, listen, you claim you have liability and you can't prove that you uh, made good on it, you got to pay. But if you said, I'm not sure if I had ever had liability, I'm not sure if I ever borrowed, I'm not sure if I ever had your thing, then you don't have to pay. In other words, if you know for a fact that you have the obligation, you just don't know if you paid it, so then you got to make good. If uh, uh, Obviously, if the other guy knows, that would be fine, but assuming the other guy doesn't have any information, so if you know for a fact that you were obligated, you have to uh, make sure that you uh, paid your uh, paid your dues. Itmar, the more it's a question, somebody said, you owe me money, You my my money's with you, I, I loaned you money, and he said, I don't know, well, the other guy doesn't know, you know, he has to pay, he doesn't have to pay, if you're for sure, he's maybe, uh, since you're for sure, he has to listen to you're for sure, and they say he doesn't have to pay. Why? Because the money right now is with him. Anytime you try to take away somebody's money, you have the burden of proof is on you. We assume money uh, money is where it belongs. We leave money uh, under the understanding that it, it belongs where it is. But if but the more has a question, but doesn't that conflict with our Mishnah? We said if we said I don't know if I borrowed your putter. What's the case? If the case is, well, what did the other guy say? Did he loan him money or not? So if the, the borrower, um, the lender isn't asking for it, so then in the first case also he's not asking for it. So then why does he have to pay? It must be he is asking for it. And in the second case, in other words, he says, I'm sure you owe me. And in the second case, the guy says, well, I'm not sure. He doesn't have to pay. So you see that the Bori and the Shema, the Shema doesn't have to pay. The Morris says, really, the Lokatavale. No, there's nobody asking for the money. There's no Bori. There's nobody saying you for sure owe me. I. the question was, if nobody's asking for money, why did the Mishnah say you got to pay? 
The answer is an important concept of Bolotzis Yideshamayim. A person is worried that uh, in heaven they're going to get the, in, in, no, the other, the, the, the borrower uh, isn't claiming that you owe. He long forgot about it. But Hashem doesn't forget. And you want to make sure that, uh, the, uh, that in the heavens they're not going to hold it against you. So our mission is talking about where you want to make sure that your slate is clean. That's different than somebody that's trying to take away something from you. You're trying to make sure you'll have a clean record. As we all know, that uh, theft is a very scary thing. Some, uh, there, there are chazals that sometimes people have to come back to this world after they died if they, if they have other people's money in their hands. Because someone says, you owe me money, and the guy says, I don't know, he has to pay. I thought you can't take away money when you're not sure. Gemara says, you can't, technically, but if the person wants to make sure that in the heavens they have no claim, so sometimes you've got to pay the money just to be able to sleep at night, just to have a good conscience. New Mishnah, Sorry, we've got to do such packed stuff, but... We're at the end of the Masechta. We're at the final stretch. Somebody steals a person's sheep from the flock. And he feels guilty and he puts it back. And then something happens to that sheep. This guy stole it. And he didn't, the owner didn't receive it back. Even though it was put back, the owner didn't know it was put back. So the robber has responsibility. Lo yodu ba'lim. What happens if the owner didn't know it was stolen and he didn't know it was put back? And not only that, he counted his sheep. Bishlema and the full. Sometimes a person wants to return the theft, but doesn't want to admit that he was the crook. He's willing to give it back, but he doesn't doesn't want to make any announcements that he stole it. He just wants to sneakily put it back. So uh, in this case, where it got put back and the owner counted it, then at that point the, the original owner takes responsibility. Omarav. So now we're actually going to have four opinions about this case. So almost whatever, whatever you think, uh, you're correct or incorrect, depending on how you want to view it. Omarav. So the question here is, again, the thief is returning the sheep, and he didn't, uh, something uh, didn't happen here, and then that sheep gets harmed. So Omarav, Ladas, if the person knew it was stolen, then he needs to know that it was put back. What happens if he never knew the sheep was stolen? So Manan, and he counted, um, he counted the animal, meaning that he knew um, that this animal was there because he counted them. He didn't know it was stolen, but at least he knew the number. Whenever you count your animals, then you are showing your possession of them. The key, Tanya, Manus, its own. And then uh, we're referring to the second case of the, um, uh, there, uh, where he, um, uh, once he finds out that that somehow that sheep came back, so then the robber isn't guilty. He says it doesn't matter whether the robber told, whether he knew it was stolen or not. Minion, if he counts them, the robber is, is good because the owner has accepted repayment. Ki tanyu in both cases. Basically, does uh, if he counts it, does that let the robber off for not telling the owner that I took it? Rabbi Yochanan says, uh, if the, it was known that it was stolen, 
minion pacha, then counting helps shalola das. But if you didn't know a filu minion nami, then you don't even need to count it because the owner never knew it was missing, and therefore the owner continues to watch over his sheep. On the first case, he says if he if he knew what was stolen and then he counted pacha shalola das. If he didn't know sorek das, then you need to tell him. On the first case, what is this whole issue? What's the reason of Rav Kista? Why, if you stole it and put it back, would you still be liable? As we turn the page, he says, Once the animal got used to being on the outside, um, it's more likely to uh, escape on its own. It'll be harder to watch. So you have to let the owner know that you put it back because if he never knew that it was stolen he's not going to realize that this sheep, once it's been on the outside, is, is going to be easier to escape. I, I think that's what Stalin held, the, uh, um, all of the soldiers that had, uh, uh, in World War II, the people that had been in the German camps and the people that had been on the American side, many of them went to the gulag because he said they knew what it was like on the outside. He was afraid that they wouldn't be loyal to him and be good communist uh, citizens. Uh, but, uh, okay. Umi, Omar Rabbah, Hachi did Rabbah say this, Omar Rabbah, Haiman, the Chazal Chavra, the Agve Imra, Neidru, Dide. Let's say you see somebody, a person sees somebody stealing his sheep from his flock, three lines from the top. Rami Be Kola, and he screams, thief, Vishadje, and the guy lets go. Veloyadi Hadri, Lo Hadri. And you're not sure if he put it back or not. Umais, and then the animal died. The robber's libel. My love, even though you counted your sheep and you knew it was back, he's still liable. So, uh, so we proved that it's, you have to tell him you put it back. The Morris said, no, maybe that case was he didn't count it. If you put it back, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, he, he's exempt. So, Omar Rav Chana Bar Abba, Modera When we say you put it back, you're exempt, we're talking about Berikosia, the spotted lamb. The lamb that you stole was like very clear. So like you have a, a, a whole flock of white sheep and you got the one speckled one, so then you don't have to tell me you put it back because you could see that it's back. Rashi, five lines from the top, Berikusia Shatla Nikarhi. It's a sheep that's obvious, Shigunov, that when it was stolen, you can tell when it's put back, even if you didn't count it, you could tell that the spotted sheep is back. This is a big debate. So again, we're in the middle of multiple opinions about when something's stolen and it's put back, when does the robber not have liability? Does he have to tell him? Is it enough it's counted? Is it enough if the person never knew it was stolen? So let's say this is an earlier debate. Somebody steals a sheep from the flock or sell a minikis or money from the wallet. Put it back where you stole it. That's, and then you've done your mitzvah, you're done. Rabbi Kiva says, no, you better tell the owner you put it back. So it sounds like everybody agrees, we agree with your Yitzchak. How would the guy know that you put the money back in the wallet? So there's a famous teaching of Rabbi Yitzchak, People are always counting their money. People who have money in their pockets, they're always nervous, it's a, it's a habit, they're constantly checking. And so 
if you put the money back in the wallet, he's definitely going to know about it. So you don't have to tell him that he has to be careful now. There's more money in the wallet. He'll know about it. So my ma, the seller das, they're talking about where he, he knew that the money was stolen. Whether the fact that he put it back, the owner will discover it. The Morris says, no. Uh, no, we're talking about... Um, We're talking not about the case of the wallet, we're talking about the case of the sheep. And we said the sheep, like we said, is different because once it's, it's been out, it, it might retrace its steps or try to get out again. Um, if the uh, person watching it stole it out of the other person's um, place, kuliamolopligi kirivchistam, then everybody would agree to Reb Chista that you got to let the owner know. But over here, the case is a little different. Shomer Shiganim Rishusa. What happens is you're watching his sheep and you're decided that you're going to separate his sheep and not give it back. So do you have to tell him that you were thinking of stealing, but you put it back? And the Rebbe Kivisavar Kalsalo Shmirasa. The question here is, he trusted you all along. You were watching all of his sheep. All you did was, was separate one of his sheep from the flock, and then you put it back. Rebbe Kiva says, once you thought about stealing, you no longer are authorized to represent him. So technically, when you put it back, you didn't put it back. And so you still have liability until you tell him that uh, um, I was planning on stealing from you, but I put it back. No, you're still on duty. Just put it back, and you're good. Is this debate that we had about counting, um, uh, getting away from the sheep case? But in general, if the one who had it stolen counted and now it's back, that you no longer have liability, that sounds like an earlier argument. Where is that? The Tanya, somebody steals from his fellow person. So you don't want to tell him you stole. What you do is uh, you do business with him and you secretly pay him too much. So Tani Yatza, that's one way to give money back. And uh, he doesn't have to know you stole it, and uh, he's going to get his money back. Tani Yidah, the other opinion, says, no, that you haven't fulfilled your mitzvah. You have to tell him you gave him extra money. So what's the debate? Everybody, we thought, everybody agrees. Everybody agrees he's going to discover that he's got extra money in there. So then what's the argument? As long as he counts it and sees the extra money there, he knows he got it back, so you, you fulfilled your mitzvah of giving back the stolen money. The one who says you're not yet, the fact that he counted it won't do the trick. So Amri the Gemara says, if everybody agrees with your Yitzhak, you're right, dominion potter, that if you count it, it's good. But actually, maybe they argue in this dinner of Yitzhak. One agrees to Rabbi Yitzhak that people definitely know if there's extra money there. And the other opinion does agree with Yitzhak. Or if you want, everybody agrees with Yitzhak for Lokasha. Depends. Sometimes you count the money and you put it in your wallet. Sometimes you put it in his hand. When it's in his hand, he doesn't have to count it. He doesn't not have, he's, he's just holding on to it. So, or Iboisema, or both cases are the money, or he put it in his wallet. It depends on whether there's other money there. If there's other money there, he won't realize that there's extra. If there's no other money, then he will. The bottom line is 
Somebody stole something and he wants to give it back and he may be embarrassed to tell him, but the question is, at what point does he have no more liability to make sure it's back? Is it enough if it's in the right place? Or do you, uh, what about if the owner is likely to have figured out that the money's back? Is that good enough or not? And that's part of this question. Uh, and can we assume the owner counted? Does it depend on if there's other money? Is there this money? Does, do all people count their money? That all goes into the question of these multiple opinions we had. Okay, one final Mishnah of the day. Ain't lokum in aroim. So um, I don't know if Michael is here. Michael, oh, he is, yes. So Michael was telling me that he doesn't recommend buying a blower from a, uh, a pawn shop or from uh, people that sell used blowers because uh, that's commonly lifted from lawn people. People see the, uh, just grab the, uh, the leaf blower there. So uh, the Mishnah says, Ain't locum in aroim, don't buy shep from shepherds wool or milk. Vigdim. Uh, or little goats. Um, and if people are watchmen for fruits, don't buy wood or fruits from them because they're, th- they're stealing, they're selling stuff from the owners. You could buy from women, if women, uh, they make money on the side by sewing, or flax in the galley. Or the Egolim Bashiron, or in the Sharon, you can buy the small calves. The Kulish Omer Lahatman. If, when they sell it to you, they tell you, uh, don't show it, hide it, put it in the bag, so then clearly it's stolen goods, and then it's asr. For lochan beim and tarnigolim, you can buy uh, eggs and chickens anywhere. Basically, you shouldn't buy something that uh, could be stolen, or is likely stolen. Tanarabanamein lochan and aroim, you're not supposed to buy from shepherds, lo izim, not goats, vologidim, or, 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 the, the, there's the, uh, what does he call them? Mature goats or kids, okay? Velo tulushim. And you don't buy separated wool, avaloka mehen but you can buy things that are sewn because that made, if, even if they stole it, they acquired it when they, when they sewed it, when they turned it into something. Velok mehem chola You can buy from the milk and cheese in the desert. Apparently, that's not brought to market. Veloba Yishu, but not in the, not in the in the city. Velokan Mehem You can buy four or five sheep. Apparently, they only sell like one or two. That I think the owner won't notice. But if you buy a whole bunch, uh, then it's not likely stolen. So Dal Gizim, or four or five shearings. Avalosh day stone, but not two sheep or two shearings. Rebuta says Baisus Lokan the domesticated ones you could buy, midborius, the ones that are born in the wild, you can't because then the owner won't know if they're really his. If the shepherd will sell them and the owner would be aware of it, then you could buy it because you can assume that he'll have to account for it. If this is something that the seller would have no idea that he's Doing business in it ain't locomand. You shouldn't buy from them because you're encouraging theft. Omar Mar Lokamem We said you could buy four or five sheep or four or five shearings. Hasha, if you could buy four, so certainly you could buy five. Why does it say it that way? So Omar Khista Arba Mitokamisha, you can buy four out of five. Uh, Basically, there is only a small flock, so and you buy most of it, so the owner would definitely realize it. The Chamesh Meir, you can buy four out of a small flock or five out of a big flock. 
So Gemara says, Hagufa Kasha, we said, Dalavahate's own four or five out of the flock, or four or five shearings, that only four or five you're allowed to buy because then the owner would know about it and he's not stealing. But three, he could get away with stealing, so you shouldn't buy that. But then the second case said, you shouldn't buy two. That implies three you could. So it's a contradiction. The Gemara says, Lo Kasha, Hubba Brisa, it depends if these are very uh, um, uh, healthy, uh, healthy flocks, Hubba Kishusa, or these are very weak ones. Uh, the, uh, the first part of the Brisa, which says you can buy three, those are very big sheep, and the owner would be aware of it. Whereas the, uh, uh, that we implied that you could uh, only buy four or five, those are the small ones. It depends on the particulars of the type of flock, whether the owner would likely be aware of it, and you have a theft problem. It's really a lot of common sense, at least on this part. Rabbi Yehuda said, that apparently there are animals born, what they call bisus. Those are the domesticated ones. And then we said, you got the wild ones. Those you, uh, you shouldn't buy. The owner really doesn't have a, an exact count of those. And so those you got to be more careful with theft. Is he being strict or is he going on the second case and being lenient when he says you can buy the wild, uh, the, uh, the wild ones, uh, the domesticated ones? Uh, so, Odilma Sefekoy Lukula, Aresha Koy Lukumra. The Omar Lokman are. Let me start that again. Iboilahu, Rebbe Huda is Rebbe Huda when he said you could buy the domesticated ones. Is he going on the first case and being strict? Um, or is he going on the second case and being lenient? Aresha Koy Lukumra, Domar Lokman, Arba Chamisha. So, we said you could buy four or five. At a time, honey mealy basis. That's only if those are domesticated ones, because he knows how many domesticated sheep he has. Those were born in the city. But if you're buying the wild ones, it was the chumra, filo arvachamishalo. You can't even buy four or five because he doesn't really have a good number, and these are very likely stolen, and you don't want to buy stolen goods. Udilma Sefakoy, or maybe he was on the second part, Ulakula, Domar, Avolo, Shtetson, you shouldn't buy two. Or stay gizim two shearings, honey me boreas. That which you can't buy two is of the wild ones. Abu Basa, the domesticated ones, you can even buy two. So the question is what's the nuance here on the difference between the wild ones and the domesticated ones, the animals that are born? I don't know if they look different. He calls them range sheep, the art scroll. There's domestic sheep, uh, and the wild ones he calls their born on the range, home on the range. Um, I don't know how you would know which sheep were born on the range and which one were considered domesticated. Um, maybe it's clear to you, you know, when you buy, if this is out, if you're out on the range. I don't know. You can buy domesticated, but never the range one. But you can always buy four or five. Since he says anywhere, so you see that he was being lenient uh, if you're buying the domesticated ones. Okay, we will stop here and we look forward, Mirza Hashem, to, uh, to finishing up uh, tomorrow. Um, and again, the, today was mostly about the, when somebody steals, making sure that if he wants to give back, that he's given back in the right place and the owner knows about it and that he's f- fully fulfilled that mitzvah. And then in the second half, we talked about being careful not to buy stolen things or potentially stolen things.